Welcome to the Zero Vein Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Heller. Today, we're talking to a couple boys from The Breaking Point. Uh, it's an awesome TV show. If you guys haven't ever checked this out, uh, it's great. It's free. It's on YouTube. It's on Carbon TV. Uh, it's on a few other channels. I know, is it Waypoint, Dylan? Yep, Waypoint. Yep, Waypoint. Yep, Waypoint. There's a bunch of free free channels out there for you guys to check this out at. So if you haven't, it's an awesome resource. They're very comparable to, like, the hunting public in terms of education, information, knowledge, and just pure entertainment. And then also um, they we're going to talk today about late rut tactics, uh, gun season tactics, and then also – possibly get into late season tactics if we have time. So that's who these guys are. They've been you're in your sixth season, right? Oh, we're filming season seven right now. We have six okay. uh seasons airing current currently. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So these guys have been at it for a while, which is very intriguing to me just because like the amount of effort and time you guys put into this stuff is sure. outrageous. <laughs> but uh but yeah, so without yeah, so I'll let you guys introduce yourself. So it's Dylan and Brendan on the other side. So Dylan, why don't you start off? Correct. Yep. So um, I'm Dylan, uh, and I'm here with Brendan. We're actually in Kansas right now in camp, uh, staying in a motel. Uh, been hopping around all fall trying to put deer on the ground, and I don't know, B, you got anything you want to add? Uh, no, not really. Um, both of us grew up in Wisconsin, and uh, we've got several others that help us out with producing the Breaking Point. Mike Mansell being the other uh, owner of the Black Stamp Media, which is our media company that we produce the Breaking Point through. And uh, all originally from Wisconsin, I moved down to Iowa almost seven years ago now. And, uh, yeah, we just love to hunt, and I love to video what we're hunting. So. Yeah. So, okay, two things there. Like, a lot of people that watch hunting shows don't realize, and I know this from just talking to Dylan about it, but a lot of the financials don't necessarily come from sponsorships, but they come from producing other people's media and doing video editing and content, photography, right? Absolutely. I mean, there yeah. are very few people that make a living strictly hunting um, yeah. in this industry. And, um we we do a lot outside of even hunting industry stuff. I mean, we do a lot of production work that is has nothing to do with hunting or even the outdoors to basically <laughs> keep the lights on and, you know, keep the bills paid. So, I mean, we, we love hunting. Our main focus, that's obviously where our passion lies, but there's a lot of other ways to uh, make money if you uh, know how to run a camera and edit. So, I mean, that's kind of – you know, where we cut our teeth is, you know, doing both of those things and whether or not that's in the hunting industry or not, that's, that's what we're doing on a daily basis. Sure. And that's, uh, that's black, so that's your black stamp media. Correct. And then the, the show right. we produce is a breaking point. That's basically our baby, our, you know, our, our passion project from day one. So that's what we're doing, uh, basically September through January. Uh, I would say 90% of our effort is focused on the breaking point filming episodes, uh, you know, basically putting together content to take care of in the off season and to uh feed our partners. Gotcha. So then who how many of you guys are like actually full time with Black Stamp? Is it just one of you or is any of you actually full time or how does that work? We're actually uh all three of the owners now are full time. So this is the first oh, no. year of Brennan, 
Uh, Yana, you want to? Yeah. Ju- <coughs> Dylan's been full time for what year and a half? Two years now. Yep, two years. Two years now, and then Mike jumped on board um, October last year, and then I jumped on board August of this year. So it's uh, it's been an uphill climb the whole way. It's going to continue to be an uphill climb, and we're well aware of the challenges that are ahead of us. Um, but we have no intentions of slowing down, really. No, that's awesome. So I, I kind of wanted to paint that picture just a little bit. I kind of knew some of that. I didn't know that you just started, Brennan. That's awesome. I'm, I'm happy for you guys. Like, that's, that's everybody's dream, kind of, right? Quit and just yeah, quit. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. It's a very grind. But yeah, I wanted to set the scene there because a lot of people just tend to think that, like, you just you just quit and you post a few photos and all of a sudden you got, like, $40,000 sponsorships rolling through the door. And that's just <laughs> not even close to the case. <laughs> I wish it was that easy. Yeah, you guys were doing this for, you know, Dylan, you've been full-time for two years, so, I mean, you're in your seventh season, so you had five years where you're doing this plus a job, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I remember you telling me about the turn and burns to Dakota. (laughs) Yeah, we used to. We still do now and then with some of the guys that still work full-time, but basically leaving – Friday after work, say five six o'clock, leaving straight from work, driving nine hours to North Dakota, hunting Saturday night, hunting Sunday night, and then driving nine hours back to make it to work on time Monday. Maybe catching an hour <laughs> snooze if you were one of the lucky ones that lived further west. So I mean, it was those days are hopefully numbered because <laughs> I, I don't know how many yeah. how many more sun burns I got in me, but for a few yeah, days, yeah, it was. You know, you're doing that eight, nine times. I know, Brendan, how many times did you do it that year? Um, my, I think my most was 10. Yeah. It's, I mean, that, yeah. I figured it out. It was over 300 hours on the road. And that's for North Dakota. <laughs> if you're driving to Iowa, that was North Dakota. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, and that, like, I could see doing that for a weekend, maybe two weekends, like three at the most, you know, and, like, just being sick of that. But then, you know, doing it just over and over. I mean, that's, that's pure dedication to getting this stuff done and throwing those tags. Yep. Addicting. It's addicting for sure, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so we kind of covered a little bit about you guys. Um, so who do you guys – who are – so you do have sponsors now, though. Um, not all of them are paid. You don't need to disclose that or anything. But who do you guys, who do you guys work with right now? For your, like, I mean, primary. There's, there's a lot of companies that we work with. I'm in a I'll, – I'll go through a list of them. I'm going to hope not to miss any of them. Um, some of them we've been working with for several years. Some of them, have, you know, we work with, um, you know, on, at a smaller level. But, uh, I mean, we've been working with Wild Carrot Deer Attractants, um, Baronet Blind, River's Edge Tree Stands, Canyon Coolers, Hunter Safety System, Covert Trail Cameras, Morel Target, uh, Victory Arrows, Rambo Bikes, uh, Viper Archery Products, Phone Scope, Luminox, Schwacker Broadheads, Matthews, Sitka, Scent Thief, Vortex, uh, Cobra Archery. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot. I'm hoping I didn't miss any, but there's a lot no. of companies. Carta Maps, um, the list goes on. It's just... Uh, there's so many good companies that have, you know, have been out there and have helped us get to the point that we are at right now. 
Um, and a lot of that, you know, started out at a very small level, and it took uh, several years of proving ourselves, and we just continue to climb the ladder, and we're very thankful for the opportunities that we've had with all the companies that we've ever worked with. No, that's, that's awesome. I mean, and that, that also shows kind of w- how much, you know, the depth and variety of company you need to work with in order to, to start making it at this level. You know, there's very right. – I think a lot of people think like, oh, I just need Matthews or Sidka, and then that's all I need. And it's like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. No, you no, need to work with a lot of different people. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I think a lot of people uh, imagine that those companies just throw money at us to do what we love. And the the truth of, behind it is, is, you know, we're we're going out and creating content for these companies to hopefully, you know, help build their brand and that assets that they can use then in advertisements and their social media. So it's it's not like we're just out here doing everything and they're just supporting us. There, there's a lot of back and forth going on where we're actually helping them help us, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. In order to, in order to get the like financials and get the values of their products and things like that, you need to return value. You know, it Absolutely. needs to be equal partnership for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you guys, uh, you guys mentioned. Oh, shout out to uh, Carta Map. That one you mentioned at the end. You guys turned me on to it, that dude, and he makes some bomb maps. We just bought a oh, property yeah. for Spencer. Spencer is yeah, we just a wizard with yeah. maps. What's that? Big fan of maps. Yeah, I know. I I know that one you guys have in North Dakota. I forget what you call your shack up there. What is that? Camp- Dakota, yeah, we Camp Dakota is the the, the shack that we built out there, and Spencer printed off. I can't remember how big it is. It's got to be six foot, seven foot, something like. It's ridiculous. It's huge. It, it fills covers, up a whole wall. It covers about almost three counties. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So my family just bought 110 acres, and. uh the intent is to build a little shed on that or a pole barn or something uh, this coming summer. And one of those maps is definitely going on the wall, you know, a nice big map that you can just look at. And because, you know, I work with, I work with Onyx and Onyx is great for, you know, being mobile and being on your phone. But there's plenty of times where I just want to sit back and, like, visually just look at the whole thing. Look at the whole map on a big screen. If you have it hanging on the wall, you just catch yourself standing and looking and just kind of, like, imagining that spot or, you know, how how you could hunt it better. Having it right in front of you like that, you know, just being able to visualize it that way is so awesome. You know, I'm sure everybody knows that, but it's a lot different than just looking at a map on your phone. I really like having that hard copy. No, yeah, I totally agree with that, but I just had to throw that in there. So you said you guys are in Kansas in a motel. Are what are you guys? Are you guys chasing whitetails down there right now? Yep, yep, yeah. We okay. actually, uh, Brennan uh, killed a buck on was it Monday? Monday, yeah, Monday morning. I killed one down in Iowa, and I got a Kansas tag in my pocket. So we actually. Uh, did a little work on the Iowa farms, moved a few trail cameras around, kind of starting to get ready for the late season. And then Dylan and I jetted over here to Kansas to to hunt for the week. We got uh, tomorrow yet to hunt, and then we're going to head back to Wisconsin for the, the gun season starting Saturday. The big nine day is coming. 
the big nine day. Yep, you got to see. <laughs> I've seen you see my Instagram post today. I thought that was a little mean after I after I put it up. I was like, yeah, that, that oh, could be a little no. mean. I love the dude. I love rolling around like this time of the year, and all you see is all this orange just hanging out of people's doors <laughs> and out on their trees and shit. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, no, this, that like. Yeah, you can just picture those guys. Like, this is their weekend. This is their one weekend of the year that they get out there. And it's like they're just as fired up about it as we are all year, and they are just ready to get out there and get after it. So I love when they, you see the blaze orange hanging out. All right, let's go. Here it goes, boys. Yeah. No, and I, like, so I moved into this house three years ago, and uh, it was nice when this day rolled around. I was like, oh, I am surrounded by a bunch of hunters. So this is yeah, good. I can exactly. actually make friends. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, orange Army. for sure. Uh, okay, so you mentioned the Orange Army. Let's back up just a little bit. So before the Orange Army, so I am still going to be bow hunting tomorrow and Friday, trying to fill that okay. tag before the Orange Army starts in the woods. So late, like late rut. So my personal opinion is that the rut kind of is still rolling. It's just like, you know, a few does here and there kind of still in it. Um, until kind of gun season hits, and then there might still be a little rut action. There might not be, but a lot of it, in my opinion, will go nocturnal. What have you guys – do you guys, like, think in Wisconsin the rut rolls until the mid-20s in November, or what do you guys think about that? I honestly think that the rut rolls until the 5th of December, <clears throat> in my opinion, from Wisconsin all the way down into states like, uh, you know, Iowa and Kansas. Um, not all the does are bred. A lot of the yearlings are going to come into heat a little bit later. And I can't tell you how many stories I've heard over the years of guys shooting, you know, bucks during the Wisconsin gun season that are hot on does. And uh, especially down in Iowa, it seems like that last week in November, right around Thanksgiving, even into like, you know, the first week of December, there are a lot of bucks out. They're covering a lot of ground and they're looking for those last does. So I think it is far from over. I think uh, it's very much on the Bucks' minds. I think they're just traveling further distances now to find the does because I'm going to say, you know, the majority of them have been bred. But the ones that went through the first cycle and didn't get bred and the ones that come in late, that's yet to come. And uh, I honestly feel like Bucks don't stop and aren't going to stop until, you know, we get past like the 5th of December. Okay. One other thing I wanted to, before we go on is, uh, just to give you guys a little bit of credibility, um, because you're saying, like, oh, you're saying stuff that I believe and I'm fully on board with, but at the same time, you don't hear a lot of people saying the rut goes till December 5th. But to that end, how many hours or how many days a year do you spend in the woods hunting? <laughs> Ask my wife. <laughs> I don't know. We started we started hunting on uh, August 30th this year, and it's November 20th today. And I'd venture to say that there's maybe five five days in that stretch, maybe seven days in that stretch that I haven't hunted. Okay, so you guys probably Since you got about a hundred, you got almost a hundred days in already. Thirty, sixty, yeah, yeah eighty. And yeah. we're at about half time. Right, so, yeah, and this is, you know, the seventh season, so, you know, you're talking 100, 
you know, 150 to 200 days a year in the field, which equates to outrageous amounts of hours. So I just want to make that clear to anybody listening to this, that Brennan and Dylan have spent a lot of time in the woods. I don't know if Dylan was with last year, but we were out in North Dakota um, just after Thanksgiving last year, and we we watched a buck out in a cut bean field right off of a main highway, and he was locked on a doe. This, Like I said, this was a couple days after Thanksgiving. The doe was bedded down, and the buck was literally sleeping with his head in the dirt a couple days after Thanksgiving. So, And that's up in North really? Dakota where they're probably huh. a little bit sooner than Wisconsin. Sure. So to say yeah. that they're done is uh, – it, it's a far cry from, from being over, for I sure. Dylan was hunting with Jeff Sturgis of uh, Whitetail Habitat Solutions. What was the oh, date yeah, on that? That was for his third or fourth last year. And uh, Jeff Jeff's a big believer in the second rut. So, okay. you know, if, if Joe came into Estrus and didn't get bred 28 days later, uh, she should be coming back in. And we had, it looked like a yearling doe, you know, last year's spawn, a smaller doe come through and 20 yards, 20, 30 yards behind her, hot on her trails, another buck comes up over the hill. And uh, Jeff ended up shooting her, or that buck with his uh, muzzleloader. And, I mean, that, that buck was right after that doe, you know, nose to the ground following. So I, I think kind of going along with what Brennan said, I mean, I think it's going to depend on a lot on where you are. You know, different properties might see it differently, but if you have a hot doe around you, you are going to have, you know, a doe that didn't get bred, you're going to have action. So, I mean, I think, I don't know that the intensity stays the same for that entire period, but those bucks don't just give it up. They still got one thing on their mind. And they're still cruising. And then, Brennan, you said something really interesting that you think that they move longer distances. So they're actually covering more ground. For sure. Simply because there's less does in heat, they got to cover more ground to find those. Okay. So if you're, so let's just say like the, the standard rut, right, November, you know, 2nd to the 15th, you're seeing, you're seeing a buck, you saw him once or twice in your area, and, uh, and he's been chasing does around. So then later in the season, it's entirely possible that he could be, you know, a mile away looking for does rather than just right in his backyard. And vice versa, you could be getting bucks from other neighboring properties if you have the hot doe on yours. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I've heard, and I don't know what the truth is on this or, you know, the facts or whatnot, but, I mean, they, they say a buck will travel five, six, seven miles, you know, during the rut, and I fully believe that. It was actually... When I was living in Wisconsin, like the last year I was up there, we got a picture of a buck that we had hunted all fall. We got a picture of him the evening before gun season at like an hour after dark. And that buck ended up getting shot almost five miles away opening morning of gun season, the following morning, which is... Holy cow. It was pretty eye-opening to me how far they can go in such a short period of time. I mean, yeah. go almost miles overnight i mean we that picture was probably you know snapped at five thirty, six o'clock in the evening and he was shot at like six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning five miles away yeah so i mean yeah he's he's pretty much just stopping to take a bite to eat keep it on going exactly for sure huh 
Yeah, no, that's crazy. So then, based on based on that information, like late, kind of the late rut and the second rut, how do you guys set up? What's your favorite way to set up for for bucks cruising? Like, how do you guys? If you have like your premium scenario or whatever, like what do you guys look for? How do you get set up? What do you? What is your? Are you hunting bedding areas, travel routes, funnels, pinch points, food sources? What do you guys like to do? I think it depends on you know where you are, what property you're on. But I'd say like the best case scenario is you kind of want to take the does mind at that point, right? Cause the bucks are after the does. They're going to be checking as many does as they can to see which ones are in heat. So if you're okay. trying to find, you know, a travel route between doe bedding and food, I think that would be an awesome spot because that's where the does regularly are. Uh, and I would imagine that the bucks are going to be running those routes, trying to find does that haven't been bred yet. So, I mean, either, I, I, I don't know that I'd want to be, posted up right on a food source but near a spot that you think a lot of does are going to bed or in an area between that and food i think would be an awesome spot to focus on okay that makes sense know, what do you think brennan fine yeah pretty much what dylan said find where the does are feeding um and i mean a lot of the time the does are closer to the food source than the bucks are and you know kind of just target in on those food sources and you know, if there's pinch points or fence gaps or anything in between those food sources and where the does are coming from, I mean, those are obviously good spots to set up. Another thing I'll say is I've noticed, and a lot of this comes from when I worked uh, full-time for Jeff Sturgis, but I, I, you know, checked a lot of his cameras and, you know, did a lot of inventory with him. But there was a, a couple-week period there in, you know, mid-November where your your scrapes aren't getting hit as much. And it seems like now that the bucks aren't on doe after doe after doe, they have time to go back and hit those scrapes and kind of, you know, be back in some of those areas. So okay. I think a lot of times if you're on a scrape line that was getting hit really hard end of October and, you know, it wasn't getting hit early November to mid-November, now might be a good time to go back and, you know, check those cameras and see if he's been back. Because I think, in my opinion, he has more time to go back and kind of, you know, make his presence known in those areas. Sure, kind of like the craze is over, or it's winding down, so now i got a little bit more time. Yeah, I just think that now, you know, they're not running from doe to doe to doe. They're actually stopping and, you know, hitting those scrapes again. Sure. That makes, I can actually, I can corroborate that as well um, based on my trail cameras what you're saying because I haven't checked home as of late, but I was getting three or four bucks regularly on a scrape up until about October like 28th or so is the last one I got of him of yep. these three bigger bucks that I'm after. And I've been, I checked them all through up until the 15th and I didn't get a single picture of them. And now I'm actually really interested to go back and check those out because they're still on those same scrapes that they were hitting before. And one of my fears was that they got shot because there's, you know, a bunch of other hunters in my area. And, uh, but I'd be really interested to see if they actually came back. That, that makes me very excited to go down on Friday and check that, check a couple of those cameras. Right on. Um, one of the, you mentioned, Brennan, you mentioned, uh, fence gas, I think, like pinch points. Yeah. Can you yep. – there was a 
sweet hunt. This, I think, I'm pretty sure it was you. I watched a lot of Breaking Point. Um, did you shoot a buck that walked right through a fence gap last year? Yes, I did. Yep. Okay. Can you can you kind of uh, explain that hunt and how it like unfolded? Yeah. So the landowner, the main farm I hunt in Iowa, I got permission from uh, from a lady. She acquired or bought another small parcel of land, and on this land there is a there's an intersection where four fences meet, and they run cattle in the property, um, usually six to eight months out of the year. And then about the time mid October rolls around, the cattle get pulled out of there, and I'm sitting there left with an awesome pinch point because where these fences come together, they got cattle gates. And once they pull the cattle out of there, they leave the gate standing wide open. So these deer travel from food to bed and versus jumping a fence anywhere else, they can come right through two open gates. <laughs> so it's kind okay. of, uh, it's money. No, I mean, that makes, I mean, there's a lot of people who run cattle on their property, you know, yes. so those fence gaps are a premium. Yeah. And that, that property is pretty, pretty minimal for deer travel. Um, at least that spot on the property when the cattle are in there, but it does not take long. Once the cattle come out of there, it doesn't take long for the deer to figure out that they're gone and that those gates are there because they are, I mean, usually within days, those deer start rolling through there pretty consistently. Okay. No, that's, I, I really enjoyed that hunt because it's, I liked how you were set up because that the tree that you were set up in, it wasn't like right on that fence gap. It was probably like 20 to 30 yards off that gap. And then you had enough cover that you could see down the the fence line, but not so much because when that buck came through, he was covered in brush. So you had a perfect like draw area and then he just popped out at 25 yards or whatever and you just sliced him. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, a pretty sweet hunt. We had a, Dylan and I actually sat in that stand last week uh yeah last week we had a pretty good encounter the wind wasn't blowing ideal wasn't blowing what the it was forecasted for and we had a pretty good encounter with a nice mature buck uh actually he was crossing the crp where i first seen the buck that you're talking about me shooting and uh, i banged the antlers together and he came running all the way across that field and i think if the wind was a little bit better he would have jumped the fence and been right in our lap Oh, man. Yeah. So that kind of brings me to one of my next questions, which is, do you guys have, like, quote-unquote killing trees, like trees that are just good every single year to sit in? I would say, yeah. Yeah, I the stuff I've been hunting in Iowa, it took me a few years to figure out, but I feel like I have – most of my stands where they need to be. I still have adjustments to make. I always have adjustments to make, but I've got I got definitely have a few trees that I would say are pretty pretty money every year. Dylan and I actually killed one out of um, one of those trees the other night or the other morning. Pretty good spot. Yeah, it was Monday. Monday morning. Yeah, we shot one about yeah. eight thirty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you say. You said it took you a couple of years to figure it out, but once you got it kind of figured it out, you have fine tuning and adjustments to make kind of almost annually. 
and just, you know, double-checking everything. But, um, but, like, those killing trees, they don't produce every single time, but you kind of get as close as you can and and in the right spot, and then it's up to the deer to make the mistake. Would that be accurate? Yeah, for sure. And I, I really think it's about leaving those, once you find spots like that, it's about leaving them sit until the time's right. I mean, you don't want to go in there early in the season on shitty weather. I mean, maybe sure. push into spots on a on a really good cold front earlier in the year. But like a lot of the spots I hunt in Iowa, I didn't even I didn't even hunt Iowa until November seventh this year. Um which I'm kinda kicking myself now because the cameras <laughs> are on fire from uh October thirtieth till about November fifth. Um so it would have been nice to start a little earlier this year, but I leave those sit, I mean literally all of October and, you know, right until November when the time's right. And then we usually gotcha. get in there and have some pretty pretty high-value sits. So this might be an obvious question, but why do you – why don't you go in there? Why wouldn't you want to try that in, like, October 10th or something like that? Um, if, I mean, if the weather was perfect, it would probably be okay to go push in for a sit. But in my opinion, as – you know, I've the, the properties that I hunt aren't overly large. Um, the one that I'm thinking about right now is only 140 acres or 120 acres. So for me to go in there in October and force something when the time's not right, I don't want to run deer out of there. I'd rather wait until, you know, they start knocking a few screws loose in their head and, you know, the rut starts rocking a little bit more before I push into those really good spots. Sure. No, that makes that makes sense, and I just I I bring that up because a lot of people think that it's it's 100% about time and the stand and, and being out there all the time, and in reality, one of the yeah. So you're kind of saying no, it's about just you know hunting the right times. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think there is a there is a point in the season where it is about time in the stand, and that time is. You know, during the peak of the rut, I would say anywhere from Halloween until, you know, I mean, it's still going. The rut's still going. I don't think it's it's past its peak, but I would say anywhere between Halloween and, you know, November 15th, I think it is really about putting the time in um, and just being okay. in the tree. You know, obviously, you still want to be in good spots, and you want to be in spots where your wind's not terrible. Um, but, yeah, I think it is about putting time in the tree. But Okay, during that. To say that in September and October, um, no, I would I would say that's definitely not true. I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna I'm not gonna disagree with what Brennan said, but I'm gonna just kind of reiterate that there's you know like we talked about before you know there's maybe seven or eight days that Brennan and I haven't been in a tree since you know August 30th. And yeah. there's a lot of the sits where we're going out there, and I think it's almost like you're going out there to pay your dues, just to go out okay. there and you know, hope you get lucky. But you're not sure. doing that in your best spot. You know, you're kind oh, of okay. going gotcha. out there, and you know, you're going to a spot that you know is a marginal sit, but you're just kind of hoping that you're going to get lucky. You're not going to your best rut stand and blowing it out. Right. So then, so you mentioned rut stand. Would you say, like, do you guys have 
different stands throughout the year, like an early season stand, mid season stand, late season, like rut stands? I I definitely do. Yeah, I mean there yeah, to me I think I think your focus shifts a lot as the season goes on. You know, early season for me I think you're kind of focusing a lot more on food and again kind of you know, where where you can apply a little bit of pressure but try not to leave too big of an impact. And then when the okay. rut hits kind of trying to in my opinion at least you're getting in to more like the heart of the area where you're getting in closer to betting areas where you're expecting bucks to be cruising and that sort of thing. So I kinda of go from hunting the fringes early season to kind of getting more into the meat of the property, you know, when the rut hits. I don't know. I'm I would sure. imagine you're on board with that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I agree. No, that makes that makes sense. So I talk to a lot of new hunters just on Instagram and people emailing me from the podcast and stuff. And a lot of them only have one or two stands. Right. And I just want right. and I always tell them like you know that one stand that you go to every single time is probably not going to cut it. I mean, you might get lucky once in a while, but you need to figure out when to hunt that stand and then hunt it at that time. Not absolutely every single time you go out. There, I think that there's like a real sweet spot for the, you know, depending on how big your property is, but for how many stands you need. And I, I, there's a lot of people I don't think are at that number on their property. I know I don't think I, I'm at that on my property right now. It's, it's, yeah. it's just a matter, of, you know, having too few stands where you're pressuring them all, and having too many where you're spreading yourself too thin and then the odds aren't in your favor. You know, you might be 150 yards from where you need to be. So sure. I, I I think having you kind of honing that in doesn't it, – it's not a one-year thing. It takes a few years to kind of hone in on, on that if you have that luxury. Yeah. No, I mean, we got – we bought our property. So my dad ended up – we found our property on Craigslist, ended up buying it on August 23rd. So mm-hmm. – season started September, you know, whatever, 15th of this year. So I dropped a bunch of cameras and, you know, I'm just trying to, I'm just really seeing the property for the first time without vegetation right now. And uh, it's like, I'm like, Ooh, I need to stand here. I need to stand here. And I'm just like, you know, 110 acres and I'm up to like 16 stands that I want to set up already. And yeah. And I can use all 16, but I don't want to spend that kind of money. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, so yeah, finding those sweet spots, I I definitely agree in figuring that out. Um, yeah. Based on early season, mid season, and then the rut, and then also like gun. So let's jump into let's jump into the gun season because that's coming right around the corner here in Wisconsin. Um, so for me, when I want to switch to gun season or gun stands, I generally look for areas like stand sites where I can just seek a really long ways into certain pockets. Yeah. Are you guys in that same boat, or what do you guys do for gun season? Yeah, I mean, I, I want to be kind of in an area or a stand that has a good vantage point. I don't want to be in, like, a big open area where I'm shooting across a giant field. I feel like, you know, when you're driving down the highway, you see those gun stands that, you know, guys just sitting there looking at a giant field. And it's I want to be hunting deer as they're still somewhat naturally moving, not okay. sprinting the field slinging shells you know so i like to kind of be in the in in the you know where i imagine deer are still going to be on a normal pattern or if they get spooked they might feel safe being where they're not just sprinting around trying to find cover that they're safe in 
Okay, sure. So a little bit more in the woods, not necessarily just like a cut cornfield. Um, yeah, I mean, if you, if you have an unpressured cut cornfield or something that you know isn't, you know, um, have pressure on both sides that the deer might still be heading to, you know, say opening night or the next night, um, you know, on their natural movement, by all means, I would definitely hunt that. But I think a lot of hunters, especially in Wisconsin, don't have that kind of property set up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there's a yeah, there's a lot of hunters just slinging shells for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you mentioned that like you would sit those cut corn fields or soybean fields or whatever at night, meaning you know food sources are likelier to be hit by deer in the evening hours of gun season. What about you know opening morning? What are you guys looking for and where you want to sit in that time frame? Well, I, I kind of want to be back in a transition area off of food where, you know, I'm kind of hunting it as if I had a a bow, but obviously I can reach a lot further where I'm imagining deer coming off of a food source, heading back to their bedding area uh, for the day. So, I mean, I'm picturing where I kind of want to be on Saturday right now, and it's just a big open hardwood that's basically a transition area from food source, starts to get thicker, and then the deer feel comfortable bedding. Um, uh, once they pass through where I'll be sitting. Okay. Brennan, you think the same? Are you hunting with him or what? I am probably going to be running a camera this weekend for another guy in the crew, Brandon Lydon. He is actually okay. planning to hunt a property. Um, he's been bow hunting it quite a bit this year, but the property was clear cut two years ago now, so it is just thick, nasty shit. <laughs> and we're going to be sitting in an area that kind of uh, overlooks all of that. Um, I mean, if the deer lay tight, we're not going to see them. But if they happen to get up, stretch out, and even if they only move 5, 10 yards, get a bite to eat or browse, we're going to – we should be in a pretty good position. Okay. And it, how big is that property that you'll be hunting, Brennan, or filming? Oh, it's – probably around 160 acres the part that we're hunting um but the clear cut i'm gonna say is probably 40 to 50 acres i mean it's a big clear cut okay so then you're sitting there because it's so thick that deer feel safe in there why are why are you sitting there um well they definitely feel safe there there's a i mean it's the whole thing is bedding we literally We drop off the hill about 60, 70 yards and climb up the tree, and we are surrounded by bedding, you know, two, 300 yards in every direction. So okay. we are planning on the neighbors putting pressure on the deer and all the deer retreating to that clear cut. Gotcha. No, and that's a, that's a solid strategy because a lot of people only think about what's going to happen on their property and not what's happening on others. That's the beauty of gun season. You know your neighbors are going to be out there pounding. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, I see. Yeah, I agree. And I'm actually banking on that same thing as well because the property that we bought, there's one property about 200 in a, in a, a section. It's probably two to 300 yards long from my property. And then it goes through theirs and then it turns into public. 
and the oh, public right like two to three thousand acres. So awesome. I'm banking on those deer coming burning off that public, running the ridge through the neighbors, and then running right to me. You know, awesome. that two to three hundred yards. Absolutely. Because our our property wasn't clear cut, but it got hit by a tornado about four years ago, which essentially oh, yeah. makes it a clear cut. Because <laughs> it is, there's a ton of thick, nasty crap in there, and there's certain areas that I'm figuring out. Like even if even if I knew there was a big buck in this area, I wouldn't be able to kill him. <laughs> wow. Like so, I got just gotta I gotta catch them before they get in there. You know. Absolutely. Sure. Sure. Um. Yeah, and then my neighbors, they don't bow hunt at all, and they only hunt opening day of gun season. So, right on. <laughs> so yeah, we'll see how that, that shakes out. Which brings that's me to fun. another question is, so that's, that's opening weekend. Do you guys' strategies change at all as the week progresses? Man, you know, yeah. we honestly – we don't focus as much on gun season as we used to. Um, I used to hunt the whole nine day. And, yeah, my my strategy would change Monday because I was picturing, after, you know, once Monday hit, 80% of your hunters are out of the woods again. And right. And then you basically have the woods to yourself. You're bow hunting with a gun. You know, you're out there. There isn't as much pressure applied, but there has been pressure applied. So I don't think the deer – Monday through Thursday are moving as far as they were prior to opening weekend. But you're basically hunting those. I, I used to kind of hunt thinking, you know, they're not moving far from their bedding areas to eat every night. They're not making those long-distance travels to, you know, major food sources. Sure. So it's just hunting real tight to bedding areas and just hoping that you can catch them in daylight hours before it goes nocturnal. Or right. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, and I, I really don't hunt. Personally, I hunt opening weekend, and then I'll hunt. Usually I'll hunt Thanksgiving or the day after Thanksgiving. Yep. And then, you know, Saturday, Sunday. And I, previous to owning this, us owning this property, I was just a public land guy. And right. I had, I spent a lot of time using gun season to scout. And if I jump okay. something, I can shoot it. So that right, was kind right. of my strategy is, yeah, just I I wandered a lot during yeah. gun season because my thought was, well, if I jump something, then I'll probably get a crack at it anyway. Absolutely, yep. Yeah, that's, that's the beauty of gun season. <laughs> Definitely. Um, Definitely. Do, you guys, uh, do you guys sit the entire day on Monday? Or, on, sorry, on Saturday or Sunday? Man, if you can hack it Saturday, Sunday, I would sit as long as you can. Sit all day. Cause okay. Again, you're kind of hoping that your neighbors aren't going to, they're going to get up and hopefully push some deer around. I guess that's kind of the way I grew up thinking about things is, hey, you know, especially if you got a noon Packer game on Sunday, which this year we don't, but a lot of times people want to be out of the woods to watch the Packers, and a lot sure. of guys are getting out of the woods Saturday to go back and, have a few beers or something with their buddies because this might be their one weekend that can't. So I guess that's kind of the way I always pictured it was the longer you sit, the longer or the more chance you have somebody pushing something to you. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes sense. And then it's still, you know, Saturday, especially if there isn't a boatload of shooting in the morning, 
Like, mm-hmm. I think a lot of deer still consider it kind of rut and still kind of consider it, like, oh, you know, moving, moving between that 10 and 2 time frame. Definitely. No, I've you had, guys, there's a couple ahead. hunts I can, I can remember um, when I was a lot younger sitting and seeing several bucks chasing one doe on opening day. And, I, you know, it's, they still got that on their mind. And if you're in a spot that you snuck into and your neighbors didn't pressure on their way in and, you know, it's still somewhat natural, those deer are still going to do natural things. And that's still, you know, following does or seeking does. Sure. No, it makes sense. Uh, so, which actually kind of brings me to another question. Like, one of the things I think about when I'm going in for the rut and late rut and all that kind of stuff is when the deer are moving. Do you guys, do you guys have any thoughts between like what the deer are doing between like 6 to 10 a.m. and then 10 to 2 and then 2 to 6? Do you guys break it down like that at all where you move throughout the day based on where you think the deer will be or do you guys kind of pick stands and sit there all day? Turn the uh, I think it's, it's, I kind of look at it as big picture. You know, in the morning they're leaving food, going to bed, and in the e- evening they're leaving bed to go to food. You know, as far as midday cruising, I haven't, I sat a couple times all day this year, but I didn't nearly as much as I have in years past. But I guess midday you could kind of hope that they're cruising from bedding to bedding, you know, trying to bump does around. But I didn't really focus on that as much this year. And I least, haven't. I haven't had an all-day sit all year. Yeah. Okay. Which is, it's out of the ordinary, but I think a lot of it is to do with uh, the fact that we just haven't seen the rutting activity that we do on a yeah we had a lot year. We had a different rut this year. It was uh, the weirdest rut I can remember, and I don't know. Okay. I don't know why. I'm 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 here. We've we've actually filmed a couple deer thirties talking about it. And we'd have, we've had a lot of people reach out to us, messaging us, um, saying they're experiencing the same thing, which makes us feel a little better that we're not the only ones. But it's, sure. it's been it's been a weird year for sure. I don't know. Yeah, so you mentioned Year 30. Tell tell people about what that is. It's basically what we're doing right now. I know we aren't doing video chat, but we're both sitting here drinking drinking some beers. I hope you got a beer crack. <laughs> I do. I do. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Well, I don't know. Deer 30 is kind of our vlog where it's just us sitting around talking about what we're doing and what we think the deer are doing. Um, It's, you know, kind of an update from us on the road in the field. And And it's like real time. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, most of our shows, the breaking point don't come out till the following summer after we've filmed them, you know, the previous fall. So Deer 30 is just kind of a, a way for us to kind of be more semi-live. Yeah. No, and that's I, – I, I love watching those because it gives you a live look into, like, you know, what you did yesterday or the day before. Right. And what's right. coming up versus, you know, waiting a year to, mm-hmm. to see what you guys did, right? So. Right. No, I, I I really enjoy watching those. I, I'm glad because you guys started those this year, right? Yep, yep. I think we have yeah. eight of them out. Yeah, seven or eight. Yeah. Seven or eight. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 No, I've yeah I've watched. I probably watched almost all of them. Maybe I missed one, but yeah, I enjoy those a lot. Those are, those are good. Um, yeah, I'm that I'm that dude in the comment section. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm that. Yeah. Uh, 
but uh okay so that's kind of what i i mean i don't really have a whole lot else on gun season um do you guys do drives i do drives once a year i uh okay i'm probably the one of the only guys on the crew i take off so i i film and hunt with these guys pretty much all fall and Thanksgiving weekend is my weekend where I don't take a camera with, and I go with my in-laws um, at what we call the strut zone, which is our turkey camp in the spring, is their deer camp and their, you know, home farm. And um, it's central Wisconsin swamps. Uh, we go have a big Thanksgiving meal, and then we go walk through the marshes and try and push deer around and hopefully hopefully shoot something yeah okay Brett, do, you, do you drive at all no i don't um <laughs> I, used to, I grew up around it all of my uncles my dad it that used to be a thing everyone sat for it seemed like about 10 o'clock opening day everyone got out of their stands and we started doing drive opening day opening day <laughs> that's awesome oh yeah dude i got so so we, uh, I didn't, my family didn't really hunt. My dad hunt had hunted, but he wasn't much of a hunter. Uh, and then one of my best friends that I met growing up, his family was big into hunting. So we would just go down there, and that's, I grew up, his family pretty much taught me how to bow hunt, taught me how to gun hunt, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so they have a little cabin. It's not little, it's a really nice cabin on about 350 acres that they have permission to hunt on. They own about uh, 200 of it. And uh, the owner, the the chief owner of the whole thing, has I don't think he's sat in a tree stand since I've ever hunted there, since I was 12. So for the last 15 years, I know he's never been in a tree stand. And you wake up on opening mornings, and everybody's kind of like, all right, I'm going here, I'm going here. We're all looking at the map. And then he'll be like, well, I'm going to start walking at 730, and I'm going to go this way. <laughs> and he just, <laughs> and you can't That's tell awesome. him no, right? You can't tell him no. And, well, uh, yeah, he'll just do, yeah, he'll do one man, you know, and he'll come up to you. What's funny is he'll come up to you and he'll be like, Hey, he'll, he'll do a little drive to you. He'll come up to you where your tree stand is. He'll be like, Hey, come on down, come on down. And you pretty much gotta, cause he owns the whole yeah. thing. So then you get down, and he goes, all right, I'm going to go this way. I need you to go through here. And where he's pointing is the <laughs> thickest, nastiest shit that nobody wants to walk through. And he's oh. like, I know there's deer in there. you gotta, you got to push them out. <laughs> and I'm like, well, good thing I wore the Carhartt today. I'm going in deep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I love, like, I love the tradition behind it. I, I mean, obviously, it's not like the – really showy part of hunting and all that but i just love like the atmosphere of like hey i'm gonna go post up over there you guys push something at me and we'll see if we can kill it you know like yeah it's a different different style of hunting but i i I love it like it's i don't know to me that's the traditional nine day experience right is just yeah kind of brown it down, get them moving shoot some deer get some venison have some beers Play cribbage, play euchre, have a good time. Exactly. Yep. No, it's yeah, it's definitely nostalgic for sure. <laughs> uh, all right. So one one last thing is let's go. Let's talk a little bit about late season. So 
you get the rut done, gun season goes. And in Wisconsin, gun season is extremely late this year. You know, it even goes to December. But you got a little late rut after that. And then uh, you got the muzzleloader in Wisconsin. But then you start getting into, like, the late season, like, which I consider December 15th and beyond. Uh, What what are you guys doing in the late season for tactics to get deer down? Um, Really, after the gun season, from what I've seen on the farms that I hunt in Wisconsin and have hunted in Wisconsin over the years, it takes – it seems like it takes almost a week or two after the gun season is done before deer come out of their – hidey holes, you know, before dark. So to hunt okay. food sources, it might be, unless you have a large track of land with a great food source, it might be best case scenario to take, you know, take a week off after the gun season and let those deer start to feel safe again, let them come out and feed at night and not have the scent, human scent in the area. And then, uh, but you never know because, like, we're talking about late does coming into estrus. If you have a way of running cell cameras or cutting link systems or anything of that nature where you can constantly be monitoring from trail cameras and not intruding those properties, just keep an eye on it and see what the deer are doing. Okay. So that's Dylan, you in the same boat there? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think everybody has in their head, you know, you ask 10 people, well, what's your late season tactic? They say food sources. When real, in reality, getting a mature buck on those food sources after gun season is pretty dang tough until yeah. they've had some, you know, rest and get back into their patterns, which, you know, muzzleloader season is the nine days following the nine day. So it's a little bit tough in Wisconsin for those deer to settle back down into those patterns, sure. that, especially if you're heading right back out there thinking you got it fresh. So, yeah. I mean, no, I, I honestly think your your best bet right after the nine-day going into late season is to kind of get back in those bedding areas that you can get into them without blowing the whole place out and kind of watching those micro-movements where those deer might move 100 yards in a, you know, a day in, during the daylight where they're getting up, just moving around a little bit. Sure. No, that makes, that makes sense. So essentially, if, if you guys are hunting the late season, you're not hunting, you, like you mentioned, Brennan, kind of give it a week, two weeks. So you're kind of starting, you know, December 20th and beyond or so is really what you're looking at for late season because otherwise it's just a ton of nocturnal movement until that time honestly, frame. Honestly, for me, if I, if I were to hunt Wisconsin late season, I would look at the last the last five to ten days of the season as being your best opportunity. That's my personal opinion. Okay. That makes sense. Like, I I feel it takes that long for the deer to calm back down and uh, and start doing what they were doing before the gun season. Yeah. No, and I would would agree with that, for sure. And usually weather, and usually the weather gets pretty bad right there towards the end of the season, so – I've had some of my best Wisconsin late season hunts, you know, that last that last five to ten days of the season, for sure. Okay. If you if you can hack sitting in the cold, that's usually a pretty good time. Okay. Yeah. So the colder it is, the more likely they are to move during daylight. Yeah. The colder. I mean, and then obviously you throw snow in the mix, and they got to start digging for food. Yeah, it definitely helps. 
Okay. So you mentioned having to uh, sit in the cold and and be cold. I know you guys uh, run Sidka. What do you guys? What's like your layering system like? What do you guys? How many layers do you wear? What do you guys do? Do you bring clothes out? You know, that's always a big question. Is like, man, my toes get cold, my hands get cold. You know, what what do you guys do for a clothing system? Um, I mean, my big thing is if I can keep my feet and my hands warm, I can usually survive. Um, as far as the sit to goes, I probably wear more layers than anyone on the crew when it gets cold. But I also <laughs> okay. get cold. And I will start with, uh, you know, I'll usually wear two or three layers of uh, base layers. And then okay. I will, on my upper body, I'll do the same. I'll probably have three or four layers of base layers, and then I will wear a Fanatic hoodie, and then I will, if it gets really cold, I'll go to the Fanatic jacket, but I'm the one guy on the crew that doesn't like to wear a big bulky jacket, so I'll wear the Fanatic vest um, okay. on top of Fanatic bibs. Uh, but, I mean, we've we've hunted in temperatures out in North Dakota where with the wind chill it's 30 to 40 below zero. Granted, when we're hunting out there, we're sitting in ground blinds. Um, okay. Dylan and I had a pretty good cold hunt in Iowa just last week. It got down in the single digits, pushing pushing zero. Um, and I mean, I was just fine if I can keep my my feet and yeah, I think my hands warm. Brands aside, if you can find a way to keep your body warm just through layering and wearing wind, you know, some kind of wind stopper. Um, as long as you can keep your feet warm, to me, that's my limiting factor. Is my feet. As soon as my feet start going, I'm done. I okay. Get out so, so then, how do you how do you keep your feet warm? What's the best way that you found to do that? Man, I'm still working on it. <laughs> I, uh, I'm never quite satisfied with it. I, I I I right now I wear like muck boots or like Rockies late season, and then I'm putting heat packs in there, and then your feet sweat, and then you're getting cold, or your heels start to freeze. I, I've heard of some. They're, I think it's like ice shield or something like that, booties you can put over your boots. I, I kind of want to invest in those. I haven't tried the Thermacell Bluetooth thing for your feet yet, but that might be my next step. I, I don't know. Okay. I'm still working on it. I just know every time it's cold out, my feet hurt. I'm like, let's get out of here. I'm done with it. Yeah. So I, ha- I have a trick. It worked for me last year. It hasn't really been cold enough to do this year, and it's a pain in the ass. But it seemed to work. Yeah. Uh, so I will wear a pair of just whatever socks. I don't even care. And I will put my feet in bread bags and then put them in my muck boots. Okay? So then okay. I'll walk out there and the bread bags keep the moisture from my feet out. Uh-huh. Like, you know, the inside of those muck boots are like neoprene. So they'll absorb uh-huh. that water. So yeah, the bread yeah. bags will keep the moisture on my feet. When I get yeah. to the stand, here's the pain in the ass part, I take off my boots and I take off my socks and the bread bag, pack them into a bag, yeah. and then I pull out brand new fresh socks and put them on. Yeah. But yeah. I did that last year a couple times, and it worked out really well, and I run uninsulated boots, and I was yeah. still able to stay warm in the single digits. But, man, it is... It's not fun when it's four degrees out to get to your stand and take off your boots. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> no, I, I like that idea just because, yeah, I think depending on how long your walk is, as soon as your feet sweat, you know you're screwed. Yeah, I mean, you just feel it. You're like, shit, my feet are yeah. sweating. It's got to be nice to start with a clean slate. <laughs> right. Yeah, so that's that's the only tactic. And I used to just swap socks, but then I yeah. realized that the inside of my boots were getting wet, and then I couldn't fix them at all. You know, it just wasn't happening. So that's my one that's my one tactic I've used and it seemed to work well. But again yeah, I only I like did it twice. And the only other problem was that both times I did it, I saw a deer like the whole time I was in the stand, which really makes you kind of forget about your feet. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's right. another tactic for uh staying warm is to see deer. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, you're like, Oh, I can sit another ten minutes. You got to join it. Okay. So it's actually keeping – so what about your hands? Are you guys just using a muff or what? Yeah, definitely muff. I, I don't wear big gloves. I don't ever wear gloves. Um, if I'm hunting with a gun, I'll wear gloves. But if I'm bow hunting, I can't on – my, on my release hand or on my, you know, my bow grip hand, I can't wear gloves. I mean, I just – that's not how I practice, so that's not how I hunt. Right. Um, I pretty much live and die by hot hands. <laughs> I have, um, before we started wearing Sitka, I always wore a hand muff that strapped around my waist, and I'd just keep, you know, three, four hot hands in there. Um, you should see this guy's pile of hot hands. After another, <laughs> I should have said three or four in one muff. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. He had a dozen freaking hand, hot hands. And the feet ones, and the ones that he taped to his back. Yeah, and who the hell was warm? That's what he I thought. He was warm. He was warm. I'll give that. <laughs> so when the guy spends eight dollars a sit, oh, it's probably close to ten dollars a sit when when it's cold. <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm talking single digits or you know colder. He, I was, talked, he talked me into trying this one morning. Oh yeah, the morning it was super cold. We're halfway to the stand, and I like almost collapsed. Like I was like. The hot hands, like he had me tape some to my kidneys and shit. No, you know I was dying. Like, I can picture smoke coming out of my ears. Like, you know how they make the like the adhesive ones. Yeah, the ones yeah. That you back. So if it gets super cold, what I do is I'll take those sticky ones and I will put two of them on my thighs. I'll put one on each thigh. I'll put. <laughs> When you're like getting dressed in the morning, or do you yes. undress yeah. in the stand? Yeah. While we're still at the shack, he's putting this out. <laughs> this is this is for a morning hunt or an evening hunt. If you do an all day, you have to switch because they don't make them to last all day. <laughs> typically, typically late season. This is only happening evening because we there gets to be a point here pretty soon that we'll just quit hunting mornings. So typically sure. I'm only doing this evening hunts, but we had a really cold morning in Iowa, so it, uh, I busted out my tactics last week, and I'll put two of them on my thighs, I'll put two of them on my lower back, like down by my kidneys, and then I'll put two up high on my back by my shoulder blades, and then I'll run, you know, usually a couple packs of hot hands in my hand warmer, in my muff, and I'm golden. And then I'll run them on my suit too. So. Oh man, that's amazing. That is amazing. But 
I'm just picturing you like in a tree stand getting butt ass naked and then putting all these hot hands all over your body and then oh, dressing oh, back hey, up. <laughs> listen here. But the thing is, I use all these things and I'm sitting there literally in like three shirts and a vest versus someone that's sitting in a big ass bulky jacket. Yeah, but literally like these things heat up. Like they're they have moods almost, right? Well yeah. So you're sitting there and then one just gets hot. And then it just gets hotter, and then it gets hotter, and then you're just picturing your skin that's boiling. <laughs> yeah, I put one doesn't on my shoulder. Not to, doesn't it say right on the package not to apply it directly to skin? Well, he doesn't do no, that. No, 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 no. Yeah, like outside, your, outside of your bottom layer. I will put it on. Out. I stick them on my – I'll put one – my base layer on. I'll put my – my next to skin layer on, and then I stick them all to that layer. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. 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 All right. That's all right. I'm picturing you just sticking them right to your skin. No. <laughs> no. I. I pretty much. I've got a red spot on my left shoulder blade as we speak right now because one of them got really hot the other morning. Dude, it's ridiculous. <laughs> we seriously, we're on our way in. I'm like, dude, we gotta stop. We gotta stop. And I, like, it was burning. Get out of my legs! Like, I'm like, I could see dolphins on diet. Just try it once, you'll thank me. Oh my god. I I will send you, I will post a photo on this with, when I try this, come late season. <laughs> I'll tag you next time I do it, because it's bound to happen here for you. Yeah, soon. Dylan, Dylan, please do a photo dump and have one of those in there. <laughs> I should have taken a file of his at the end of the day. It's ridiculous. (laughs) You could could meet him with Shaq right next to him in the Icy Hot commercials. (laughs) I literally go to the back of Walmart. Most people probably buy like a pack or two. I just grab the entire boxes. (laughs) That's no no joke either. Oh, my God. Crazy. (laughs) Um, So... (laughs) All right. Um, one of the last things that I wanted to just ask you about, um, two, well, I got two things. If you're hunting food sources in the late season, uh, what's your favorite food source to hunt? Like if you could. You got it. Standing beans. Standing beans or, uh, I mean, corn is obviously a huge draw for deer late season. But if you're bow hunting, it can be extremely tough getting, you know, getting a shot with standing corn. I know okay. bow hunters did a lot, and I know a lot of people in Iowa. You see it on TV. Um, they go through and they actually brush hog the corn, so you yep. can see through it. But yeah, I mean you can't beat grain, uh, corn and beans for sure. Okay, that's all right. If you had to pick one, if they were like, "Hey, you can hunt standing corn or standing beans tonight," you get one or the other. Um, beans, just because you can beans. see. Yeah. Okay. All right, um, and then last thing before we hop off this is you mentioned uh, you hunt in the ground blind in North Dakota. Do you do mainly, like, blind sits in the late season, or are you guys in tree stands as well, or is it a good mix, or what? It is, I would say, 90% ground blinds here once we hit December, and that's, you know, if we get a warmer day where it's not really cold, I mean, when we go to North Dakota, it's not even – feasible to climb in a tree i mean we're talking when the hunting's good we're talking you know a good sit a, a good warm sit is, good sit minus 10 yeah i mean it, for our best hunts out there don't come until we get below zero temperatures yeah. 
sort of sit in a tree okay. and we we've, we've tried it don't get me wrong but it is it is not fun it, um, it seems like no. everything's longer that time of year yeah. you stick out that much more there's not as much cover to cover you up there's no cover out there and to pick your bow up and draw it wearing that much clothing in a tree stand is pretty tough i've got to believe that it's it's got to be 15 to 20 degrees warmer in a ground blind with two people in it than oh, yeah. sitting in a tree eating the wind, for sure. Oh, yeah. No, I believe that. So then, yeah. my so I've, I've never really hunt out of a ground blind. So if I'm going to do that late season now, how long do I need to set out, set my ground blind before I can go hunt it, like before the deer are used to it? What do you think? I think there's a lot of different opinions on yeah. that. I, I really think it depends where you're at. Um you're in a fantasy state. <laughs> if you're in if you're in Wisconsin if you're in Wisconsin and you're putting a ground blight out with the intent of, you know, shooting a deer inside a bow range, I'm thinking two weeks minimum. If you want to okay. throw a ground blind out for gun hunting, obviously a deer's not gonna give a shit about a a ground blind when it's a hundred or hundred and fifty yards away from it. But to get a right. deer twenty or thirty yards, I'm saying two weeks minimum in Wisconsin. You know, we go okay. to other states, Iowa, North Dakota, um, states like that. We could throw ground blind up, and within days, we got deer going past it in the daylight. So it it really depends where you're at, how much pressure there is. But, uh, you know, if a lot of your listeners are from Wisconsin. I'm saying two weeks minimum before you're going to get and deer. brush it in if you can. Brush it in, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, so essentially, uh, like, if, if I want to hunt it late December – I should just throw it up during gun season when I'm out there someday and just get one up and brush it in and just let it hang out for yeah, the next for few sure. weeks. Okay. I just put one up last week. Uh, sat- I just put one up on Saturday. That I'm thinking I'm going to be hunting here in three, four weeks. Okay. So I want that thing. I want the deer walking by it every night, maybe a step closer every night, thinking, oh, that thing really isn't a you know threat to me. And sure. hopefully one day be sitting in there when they do it during daylight yeah and this might be a stupid question like i don't again i don't do ground blinds that much do you guys like after you set them up do you try to spray them down with anything or do you guys just set them up and walk away and just like yeah just leave your human scent right on there i guess my hope is that you know if i'm setting it up far enough ahead of time it's not going to matter what scent i leave on it okay that makes sense i, I if, if it's something I plan to hunt within the week, yeah, I'll probably spray it down. But, like, the one I, I put up on Saturday, I'm not going to hunt it for a while. I didn't bother spraying it down. It had, it's going to have plenty of time to air out before I get in there. Sure. Okay. When I'm in there, I'm going to spray it down. You know, I mean, just like you're in a tree stand or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Just hunt it norm, like you would a tree stand, but, yeah, you're just in the ground blind. Do you right. think that helps contain your scent within that blind itself? No, I don't think so. No, your scent just passes through? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, you got windows open and all kinds of orifices that the scent can lead through, I think. Sure. No, i just just curious on that. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, that's, that's all I got right now. I mean, I really appreciate you guys hopping on and uh, doing this with me, ask, answering a bunch of my questions and stuff like that. Yeah, this is fun. I, Thank you very I much. Love it. What's that? Thank you very much for the invite. This has been fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad I could catch you guys when you're just sitting around in a hotel drinking beer anyway, probably having the same conversation. So kind of just a live listen in.
All right. Well, cool. No, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for joining. And um, where can where can people find you? Like, what's what's the best place to find you? Um, our YouTube is a great great spot to catch the majority of our video content. Um, there's stuff that gets posted there that doesn't get posted elsewhere. So I would say YouTube's a great place to go. Uh, the Breaking Point, if you look that up on YouTube, you'll find us. We get all six seasons streaming there, and all of the Deer 30s and other vlogs that we've done are available there. So that'd be a great spot to check us out. Otherwise, I mean, Instagram, Facebook, all the other places that we, we air. It's, pr- it's pretty tough not to find us nowadays. Yeah. Waypoint right. TV, Carbon TV, we're on Amazon, Roku, Roku. all those. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Cool. And if people want to hit up Black Stamp Media for some amazing professional photography yeah. if and there's anybody listening to this that uh, has any kind of video needs, photo needs, hit us up. I'm happy to help you out. Yeah. So just Google Black Stamp Media. Yeah, uh, that would yeah. work. Instagram, Facebook, great places to find us. Um, okay, shoot us a message on Facebook. Yeah, we'll find you. Gotcha. You still out of lacrosse, Dylan? Yep, I'm in lacrosse, and uh, Mantle is out of Stevens Point. And, okay. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, wherever we can reach with a camera. Got it. All right, awesome. Thanks, guys. Good luck on your rest of your hunt in Kansas. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, catch you later.